our second Bible reading. Um, it'll, it can be found in John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. Uh, in the Black Pew Bibles, which look like this, that's found on page 1109. Otherwise, please follow along on the screen behind me. So that's John chapter 1, starting from verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, my name's John. Good morning, all. Uh, this past week, I've been away at, um, in Warburton, and the weather there was wet and drizzly every day, and overcast and quite miserable and I thought coming back to Melbourne it should be better just the same just the same but it is good to be back and and good that you're here for this topic we're going to consider this important topic today and that is finding our identity in a confused world and it is an extremely confusing world and so great uh, of you to be here and if you're here just for this topic and the topics over these next few weeks really wonderful that you're exploring these big questions of life they're, they're important questions, questions we should be reflecting on, thinking about, and coming to grips with how, how we to understand ourselves and our place in this world. And so as we begin, let, let's pray once again and we'll consider this. Lord God, we pray that as we consider who we are in this world, how we are to understand ourselves, how we are to understand ourselves in light of who you are, we pray that you'll give us clarity this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's no question that we do live in a very confused world in, on so many levels. And on one of those levels that touches each and every one of us is the question of identity. Who am I? Who are you? How are we meant to understand ourselves rightly and truly? Am I what I eat? Am I my career, my job? Is that who I am? Is that what defines me? Am I the collection of the relationships that I have? Is that what defines me? Am I what makes me happy and that's my pursuit? Or is my identity quite fluid? It can just change as the seasons change. Or do I define who I am? Or can I go on redefining who I am? So it's a big question. Identity, who am I? And if you've been up to date with all that's happening in our world, in our society, it's really a confusing space. And the topic of identity is always in a state of flux. It seems like it's always changing. People are talking about these things. It's why philosophers continue to write and think about these things. It's why theologians continue to consider what is our identity? How can we make sense of it? It's why scientists continue to deliberate on it sociologists study it, that old question, who am I? Now listen to what one theologian and, and professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, he said. He, he, he was considering how human beings were so fascinating, and he said this, we human beings are a mystery to ourselves. We are rational and irrational, civilized and savage, capable of deep friendship, and murderous hostility, free and in bondage, the pinnacle of creation and its greatest danger, where Rembrandt and Hitler 
Mozart and Stalin, Antigone and Lady Macbeth, Ruth and Jezebel. And so what he's trying to capture there is how confusing it is to be a human being. We're a mystery to ourselves. How are we meant to understand ourselves? And human beings, we're fascinating creatures. And so let me ask you that, that question. Who are we? Who are you? It feels like when we come to the topic of identity, it feels like it's all knotted up and all tangled up in our confused world. And so today, this morning, uh, my hope is that we can try to untangle it, untangle the mess so that we can see it in a straight line. Who are we? You see, when we talk about identity, what is it that we're talking about? Our identity is who we truly are at our very core. Who are we really, truly? And it's tied to often what is the absolute good or what is it that gives us a sense of worth and dignity and significance and importance as a person. And so it could be any combination of either my ethnicity, my gender, my career, my relationships, my wealth, my looks, my abilities. And often it's not something that comes so clear necessarily to our minds but it's exposed by how we live or what we live for and so if my identity is grounded in being a family man then I'll feel that sense of worth and significance that I have achieved if I'm a good husband and I'm a good father that gives me a sense of I've I've done what I'm here to do that is my identity but if my identity is tied to my career for example then unless I achieve what I set out to achieve, be that great accountant or lawyer or whatever that might be, but if I fail, then I'll end up with what we call an identity crisis. I'm not who I thought I was. And so how do we go about deciding? Who are we? How do you decide who you are? What do I ground my identity in? How do I find myself? Well, what I found really helpful in thinking about this topic in untying the knot in this identity, identity confusion is this wonderful book by the name of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And so if you like to read, it's a big book. It's, it's a heavy read, but it is a good read. What he does is he traces how people have thought about identity throughout history and how that has changed over the centuries, over time. And how it has, in a sense, so rapidly changed even just over the last few decades. So that where we are now in our world is the point where we can define who I am by whatever I decide to be. So that's the point where we are. And so what I'll find helpful for us this morning is I'll spend a bit of the time in this talk just tracing how people have thought about identity. And it'll help us see why we have landed in the place we are today in our world. You see, in the ancient world, how did people think about identity? In fact, it's not just the ancient world, it's also many of the Eastern cultures today. You see, in the ancient world or Eastern cultures, your identity is to conform to the community, the society in which you belong. It's, I've put it in a diagram, so let's just say this is the world, the society in which you belong, and I suspect many of us will resonate with this. And this is who you are. I'll call this the traditional culture. Your identity is, in fact, tied to the community in which you belong. And so what is good for the community, what will 
allow the community to flourish. Your identity is tied to that. And so what is good for the community, I will align myself with that. Or what brings honour to your family, your community, your tribe, that is what I will tie my identity to. And so, um, Scots amongst us, any Scots? What, what do Scots, what are they really proud of? They're, they're tartans, right? They're, they're clan colours. Hey, what, what does that represent? It represents that that is who they are. That is the tribe to which they belong. And so identity was formed by conforming to the society, to the family, to the community. And it's why in some cultures, what's important about your name is not really your personal name, but your family name. Now, do you know which cultures they are? Even today, some Eastern cultures. And so in, in, in China, in Korea, in Japan, the way your name is written is you don't write your personal name first, it's your family name first. Because what's important? Your identity is about your family to which you belong. And it's also why arranged marriages makes sense in such cultures. Now, for some of us modern people today, we, we find that just really hard to accept. How can anyone have their marriage arranged by their parents? That's just nonsensical, especially after watching all those romantic rom-coms. You know, how can you allow someone to pick your spouse? But even just from amongst here, anyone here was arranged, your marriage was arranged? I think there were some that I'm aware of. Or anyone, any parents? My parents, their marriage was arranged. It turned out okay. But why does it make sense in that culture? Because your identity is not, not really about your choice. It was actually about the community, the family. And so arranged marriages make sense because what was good for you was what was good for the community, for the family. And so the suitor, if it came from a good family name, then that's good for the family. In fact, in the ancient world, it was the same thing that took place amongst monarchies. What did kings do often with their daughters, with their princesses? They would marry them off to other princes. Why? Because it was good for the kingdom. It was to build allegiance and alliances. It was to build their family name. And so the daughters went off and did that. Or even in, in ancient times, even in fact uh, in some cultures today, you do what you can do to defend your family, to defend your clan. So you go off to war. And even if you were to die, that was an honorable thing. And so your identity was tied to what was external to you, your family, your community. And so let's just say, in this traditional identity framework, you wanted to be a ballet dancer. But the community says, you can't be a ballet, a ballet dancer. How are you going to support your family? There's a war going. You better go off to war. Forget dancing. What do you do? Well, you internally, you wrestle with that and you decide... Well, I think if that's what my family says, if that what, that's what society says, I will suppress my own desires and I'll conform my identity with what is outside of me. And so who you were was defined by what was external to you. Your identity was to conform to that. That's the traditional identity. But then you face a problem with that. And, and I suspect we will see uh, what the problem is. Because what would happen, it means then that eventually you'll have to continue to suppress your own desires. You lose your sense of freedom. 
And also there's that tension. Whose voice am I listening to? Whose voice? The kings, the parents, the communities? Who should I listen to? And that's why now there's this need to find some greater order, some, some moral standard, some sacred order that is beyond the community that I must tie my identity to. And so we turn to religion now. Turn to religion. Maybe there is some absolute good. Maybe there is some God, some deity, some sense of salvation or heaven. And it's true of all, in a sense, religions. What you have to do now is you have to earn your identity. Whatever the gods says, whatever that moral order says, I need to try to get to that order. I need to earn my identity. And it's pretty much true for all religions of the world. If I'm a Buddhist, then I need to do my meditations. I need to follow the four pillars, the four noble truths, so that I can earn my identity, earn my place. Or if I'm a Muslim, then I'll be submitting, I'll be upholding the five pillars of Islam because I'm trying to earn my place, build my identity. If I'm a Hindu, then I'm doing my offerings. If I'm a Jew, then I'm following the commandments, the laws, because I want to earn my place. Or some people even approach Christianity this way, which would be wrong, but people, some people would think, well, how do I get to heaven? How do I be accepted by God? Well, it means that I have to be good enough. I have to do enough charity. I have to earn my place. And so, even if I have my own desires, in this framework, it means then that that moral order, whatever that objective reality, gets to call the shots. And so, if it means becoming a monk, then I would deny my desires, I'll go to the monastery or I'll make the sacrifices, or I'll do whatever is necessary to appease the gods. Even if I'm not happy, I'll do it. It's a bit like the story of the prodigal son. Remember that story in the Bible? In that story, it's a bit like what the older brother was like. The younger brother, what did he do? He followed his own internal desires. He went off, squandered his wealth, until he came to his senses. But the older brother, what did he do? Well, he worked hard. He slaved away on the farm for his father. He wanted to earn that place with his father. He wanted to earn his father's acceptance. But he did it not out of love, but out of duty. And so in this framework, it's trying to earn the identity that is external from you. Work hard for it. Earn that place. And now we get to modernity. Now, now you'll see why we're talking about this verse. It will help us understand why we are living in the society we are today and then what the gospel says. Now we arrive at modernity. Now what has happened in modernity in the last few hundred years is that our sense of identity comes from not what is external, from community or religion, but it's gone internal. We're now moving inside, and that's where we get the language of finding yourself. You need to find your identity, find who you are. And so with very broad strokes, three periods. First, you have the Enlightenment period. The Enlightenment period. During this period, there was a sense of, well, I'm going to reject what community, tradition says. I'm going to reject what religion says. There's this turning away from God. The church, that's seen as oppressive. I'm not listening to the church anymore. 
the authority of the monarchy was undermined and it was the seed to many of the revolutions in Europe. During this period, people started to look internally, not to community, but internally to find who they were. And it was the mind, the reason that was the faculty where I would find who I truly am. So I have to think. I have to reason. That's how I decide who I am. And so you've got guys like that philosopher Rene Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am. So what he's saying is my existence, my identity is tied to my thinking, to my rationale, to my reason. It is separate from my community. It is separate from religion. And so a seed of the Enlightenment was to say that this world is completely material and we ended up with Darwin's theory of evolution. That was the seed of the Enlightenment. Now, after the Enlightenment, how did people think about identity? Well, now you have the Romantic period, Romanticism. Now, it's still going inwards. I've rejected all that is outside of me. I've rejected community, tradition. I've rejected religion. I'm going inside. But now I'm not going just to my mind, to my reason. I'm actually moving now to my emotions, to my feelings. It's how I feel inside. That's what determines who I am. And so this period, the Romantic period, was characterized by individualism. It's what I say, it's what I feel. Characterized by emotion and self-expression. And during this period, it, it influenced the arts, the paintings. So those of you who are into the arts, you'll see how the paintings changed during the Enlightenment and how that changed during the Romantic period. And so you've got artists like German Caspar David Federick who captures this period when he said, the artist's feeling is his law. That is to say, my identity now is tied to not what I think, but how I feel. And my place in this world is to express myself. It's my heart, my intuition, my inner psychology. And so during this period then, if community, if your parents said, well, I'm going to arrange your marriage, what do you do? Well, now I'm not worried so much. I'm not tying my identity to what my parents say. I'm tying my identity to what I feel. I'm saying, no way, you're not going to arrange my marriage. I'm going to marry the one I love. I'm going to fall in love and marry that person. And so I say no to that. So that's that period. Now we move to the last period that I'll talk about, the modern period, and up to today. You can actually see the progression already, can't you? The natural progression. Historically, traditionally, people appeal to what is outside. They conform to the identity outside, community, religion. But then there's that movement inwards, inside. And over the last few hundred years, now we've come to the point where we're finding significance, importance, Worth, not from religion, not from God, not from anything external. I end up now with what I choose. It is my will. I'm deciding who I am now. It is that will to power. It was Nietzsche who said that. Or it's, I have to have the will to pleasure. I'm doing what is pleasurable. That was Freud. I live for pleasure. Or I live for happiness. Or at the very core of my being, this was only over the last few decades, at the core, at the center of who I am, 
is now defined by my sexuality. That is why we're in the world we're living in today. Why the world is also caught up with sexuality and gender and all those debates. And so even though the community is still there, community, family is still there, they're no longer important when I'm thinking about my identity because I've gone inwards to my will, to my choice, to what I think will make me happy. And so the moral standards, traditional norms, they now have no place in who I decide who I am. In fact, any traditional rules and laws and norms, they are to be rejected as evil. That's how modern people think. Any social construct, we need to destroy it all. Any understanding or societal norms between men and women, that needs to be destroyed as well. You can see why we've ended up in the place we are today. And so no longer am I wanting to fit in to community. But the hero today is the one who stands out. And what I'm trying to do today is to break free from traditional expectations and limitations. It's something that we're saturated in, though it may not be so obvious, but that's the world, that's the, the water in which we swim. In fact, if you consider a lot of the Disney movies, a lot of the Disney movies of, of princesses and what they do, the narrative of many of those movies and stories is, is a movement from the traditional identity to the modern identity. I'm rejecting the rules, the laws, the codes, and I want to break free from the shackles of tradition so that I can be myself, so that I can find myself. Anyone seen Moana? That's what she did. She wanted to do what she wanted. She wanted to go to the ocean. Or Elsa in Frozen. She wanted to let it go. Or Ariel in Little Mermaid. What did she want? Well, she wanted to become a human being. You see, it's, it's the, the water in which we swim. My identity now is defined by who? Not by outside, but by inside, by me. And who validates me? I validate myself. I create myself. I am about me. And this is the period in which we live. You can see how the, some of us might think it's so shocking how fast culture has shifted and changed. But it's taken several hundred years. It's moved quite rapidly recently. But it is the product of several hundred years of human thinking and the movement of thinking about identity. Now, you might be wondering, well, how do we see this today? Well, we see it in movies, we see it in Disney, we see it all over the place. But have a look at this. The other week I went for a run down Elgar Road and I saw this, this poster. It was an advertisement to join the military, to join the Australian Defence Force. You see what it says there? Do what you love. Tell us what you love and we'll show you how you can do it in the Australian Defence Force. I showed my son Ethan, I asked him, what do you think about this? And he said, well, he finds it strange, weird. Do you find it strange? I mean, if the Australian Defence Force revolved around what we loved, I think as Australia, we're in big trouble. Just I wanted to become a ballet dancer in the Australian Defence Force. Now, of course, I do have huge respect for our military. I used to work for the department. But what is it appealing to? It's the narrative of our times. What is it appealing to? It's the modern narrative. 
It's about you. It's about what you love. It's about the inner you. And we are here to fulfill what you want. Now you compare that advertisement to, to advertisement to join the military, to join the army in a, in a previous generation. What was the advertisement like? Well, I found these. It was, protect our women and children. Join the Australian army. Do you notice the difference? The appeal now is to you, what you love, your heart. Previous generation is an appeal to you go for the good of the community. Or this one. We want more men. Do it now. What about this one? We want you at the front. Come and help. Enlist at once. You see how the motivation to join the military has changed from what was good for community to what is good for you now. And this is the period in which we live. It means then that how as we live in our world, and maybe some of us are thinking this way, it will help you engage why people think the way they do. And the way modern people will think is, I will not allow any external authority to stop what I'm pursuing, especially if I'm pursuing who I am. I won't even allow any external authority to stop me saying who I am. You see, in modern identity, my choice, my will, my desires is elevated even above my reason, such that I can be true to myself and I decide what that true is, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not coherent. And so we will hear today, a man with male body parts will want to call himself a woman. But you can't say anything against that. You can't stop that because he's self-defining. The only truth is my truth. And so I want you to think now, what are the consequences of how we think about identity today? That identity is self-defining. Well, eventually you'll run into trouble. Another book, uh, Alan Noble, in his book, You Are Not Your Own, he says, if your identity depends on you, your choices, your will, your desires, you define yourself. And though it seems like you've got that sense of freedom, you can do whatever you want, it will leave you exhausted, discontented, and ultimately less than human. And that's because the only person who can define you is you. You're on, in fact, shaky grounds. There's no one to validate who you are. It's up to you to justify your own existence. Do you understand that? It's up to you now. You have to justify why you're here. You have to justify who you are. And it will lead to, which is what we see, it will lead to insecurity. It will lead to anxiety. It will lead to depression because how do I know for sure? How, do I, how can I even trust what I'm saying about myself? And so what has taken place in our world today is that there has been this desperate need for external validation. I need people to validate who I am because the only person validating me is me. I need external affirmation. And what will happen now is, or what we are seeing, is that I will make the world conform to me. I'll make the world affirm me. I'll make the world say what I want the world to say. And so if anyone even dares to have a different opinion, 
to what I think about myself, then that's just being a bigot. Because that's an attack on who I am. You are denying me my identity because my identity is defined by me. You see the problem with modern identity? It's so fragile. So, so fragile. The grounding, the foundation is just what I think and that's not very secure. It's shaky, it's flimsy. And I'll continue to want to perform and seek validation and approval from others of my choices, my will. It's why today, and it's part of the problem, there's a huge addiction to, to social media. Why? Because I need that constant validation of who I am. I need the validation and affirmation of, of others of my choices. And it's also why today, the types of therapies that are common today, what do we call them? Affirming therapies. I need therapies to affirm my choice, what I desire. But it's strange. If I go to therapy, what should I be seeking? I'm going to therapy because I need help. Help me work it out. Challenge me. Help me see what is in my best interest. But the top of therapies today that are prevalent is affirming therapies. Come and I'll just affirm what you want, what you say, what you decide. And so it's become... For, for, for our world, our society, a very heavy burden to continue to try to justify our own existence. Now, at this point, I'm just helping you see how we got ourselves tangled in this identity mess. But we're still left with that question. Who am I? Of, do I find my identity outside or do I find my identity inside? Where do I go? Well, this is where the good news of the gospel comes. You see, you can have an identity. What God says is, you can have an identity that is unshakable, not flimsy. You can have a significance that is rock solid. You can have a worth that is lasting. You can have a security that is unwavering. And it's not dependent on your performance one bit. Not dependent on your effort. And it's not something you have to try to discover for yourself, not at all. It is, in fact, an identity that is grounded in God himself. And so we go back to this image. You see, the identity that God gives us is the identity by which he made us. And that is, God made us in the image of God, just as what we heard before in the kids' talk. You see, the problem with the pursuit of humanity in finding our identity is that we have dismissed God and we've gone to other things and all the wrong places. Because where must we go to find who we are? We actually need to go back to God, the foundation, the groundwork, the beginning, the origin of humanity. When we forget God, we forget who we are. And we end up with a mess, just like in that kids' talk before. In the foreword of that book I shared before, Rod Dreher, he said, the crisis enveloping the West today, including the widespread falling away from faith. Why is there falling away from faith? Because I'm elevating myself above religion. The disintegration of the family. In fact, family today is deconstructed such that in some circles you can't even say mother and father. You have to be gender neutral. A loss of communal 
purpose. Why? Because I've elevated myself. What I decide. Erotomania, this obsession with sex. Erasing the boundaries between male and female. And a general spirit of demonic destruction that denies the sacredness of human life. Hence, abortion is legal. Because men have forgotten God. And if they've forgotten God, they have forgotten man. That's why all this has happened. We have, when we disconnect ourselves from God, we, we, we lose all significance. We lose meaning. We don't even understand who we are. And so we need to go back to God. And that's the reading we heard in the first one, in Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image, this is God speaking, in our likeness, and let them rule over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That is, what is God saying? I ground your identity in me. In my purpose, you are to be like me, which means to be made in the image of God, you are to be relational, you are to have a relationship with me. You are to be moral, there is a right way to live, there is a wrong way to live, there is a right way. You are to be like me as a ruler, rule over this world, but under my rule, you have worth, you have dignity, you are not like the animals. And who validates you now? You don't have to find validation from social media. You don't have to validate yourself to make yourself feel like I'm, I can justify my existence. The most important voice there is in the world is God, and God is the one who validates you because he made you. And so regardless, that's why it's true when we understand this idea, this doctrine of humanity. Regardless of whether I'm able or disabled, regardless of whether I succeed or fail in life, Regardless of whether I'm rich or poor, beautiful or not beautiful, male or female, I don't need to find myself or define myself because God has already given us our identity. We are made in his image. And that's why there is the sanctity of human life. That's why Christians uphold the sanctity of human life. It's why in the ancient world, Christianity was the, the group that elevated women and their significance in society. It was the basis of the American Constitution. It was the principle for the abolition of slavery. It was the motivation for the civil rights movements because of this sanctity of human life made in the image of God. And so it's not for you to discover. You come back to God and you see, okay, now I see I have been made in God's image. That's who I am at my very core. And you cannot manufacture a high significance or high dignity, or high worth in what God says and how God made us. In fact, we magnify our humanity when we understand that we are made in God's image. But now we move on a bit more. The wonder of the gospel. Because what God has done is that he's gone even beyond that. This is when I feel the knot of our identity confusion is finally straightened out. Because what God has done now, in his son Jesus Christ, was that when Jesus came to earth, he's come to give us his identity. When Jesus came, he went out so that we could come in. When Jesus came, he came, he, in a sense, 
lost his identity so that we can get his identity. You see, when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the only time when Jesus did not call God Father. In a sense, he lost his identity. God wasn't as Father at that moment, but as Judge. Because upon Jesus at the moment, the sins of the world was laid upon him. And why did Jesus do that? It was the price needed so that we could get his identity, so that we could be identified with him, so that we could, in the language of Scripture, we could be baptized into him. We could be united in him. We could take on his identity. And so the glory of the gospel is that the good news that the world so desperately needs is, Jesus says, the relationship I have with the Father, you can now have it too. You can come in, you can enjoy that same relationship, and that is, just as I call God Father, you can too. And you can become a child of God. That is your identity, if you want it. And so that's what we see in John 1, our reading, second reading. Yet to all who received him, that is Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but of God. Now, if you think about it, isn't that what the world desperately needs? Because here you have an identity, a primary identity. Yes, we are still our, our gender, we are our relationships, husband, wife, brother, sister, our jobs, our whatever that might be, our ethnicity. But those things are not primary. This becomes primary. They get relegated such that our primary identity by faith in Jesus is that we are now, by status, a child of God. And that identity is unshakable. My feelings, my thoughts, my experiences in life, my failings, and even my sins do not change that identity. It is not fickle. It is not flimsy. Do you see how comforting that is? I don't need to work myself out. It is, it is rock solid. Even my worst failings and my sins do not define who I am because Jesus has already paid for it all. He's coveted for it all. He's atoned for it all. And so it's not fickle or fragile who I am. Whatever I'm striving for, I don't need to because I don't need to earn a status. I've got it already. I don't need to try to justify my existence. I don't need to find my worth or be my authentic self because I am a child of God. I don't constantly need to find approval of others, social media, validation from anyone because I have it already from God. And it is so wonderfully fulfilling and satisfying because I'm always, in every season, in life, and even in death, I am eternally loved by my Father in heaven. And so tradition says you conform your identity to what is around you. Religion says you try to earn your identity. Modernity says you define yourself, you define your identity, but Jesus says, I give you my identity you can be a child of God. And that is who I am. And so the question I'll leave you with today is, who are you? Who are you? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, he came, he lost himself so that we can find ourselves, so that we might take on his identity and call you Father and be children of the living God. Help us, Lord, to take this to heart, to see how unshakable this ground is. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.